Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lori Gottlieb. I'm the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, and I write the Dear Therapist Advice column for The Atlantic. And I'm Guy Winch. I'm the author of Emotional First Aid, and I write the Dear Guy Advice column for TED. And this is Dear Therapists. Each week, we invite you into a real session where we help people confront the problems in their lives and then give them actionable advice and have them report back to let us know what happened when they did what we suggested. So sit back and welcome to today's session. This week, a woman whose parents are pressuring her to get married and have a baby wonders how to set boundaries with her family. When I was 23, he would say, oh no. She doesn't need to get married yet. She's so young, she has time. And then, you know, in a couple of years after that, it's all, you're too old, you don't have time. First, a quick note. Dear Therapist is for informational purposes only. It does not constitute medical or psychological advice and is not a substitute for professional healthcare advice, diagnosis, or treatment. By submitting a letter, you are agreeing to let iHeartMedia use it in part or in full, and we may edit it for length and clarity. In the sessions you'll hear, all names have been changed for the privacy of our guests. Hi, Lori. Hi, Guy. So I took a little peek in our mailbox because I couldn't help it. And I saw that we have a lot of letters and I'm really curious to hear what we're going to be talking about today. Well, today we have a letter about setting boundaries and it goes like this. Dear therapists, I need help navigating the pressures that my family is putting on me and my partner as I get older. When I was younger, they expected me to study hard. During that time, I met my partner who is the same age as me. We have now been together 10 years and are approaching our 30s. My brother got married and now my parents are pressuring me to push my partner to propose so we can get married and have a baby. My partner and I have discussed this and it will come, but he's not ready just yet. I've tried to set boundaries with my parents and to listen to their concerns. However, they continue to bring up the issue, which pressures me and causes me to fight with my partner in order to try to please my parents. I'm exhausted by trying to get my parents to be quiet about it. I have incredible anxiety about this, and while I know my family loves me, I feel incredibly judged by them and like I'm disappointing them. I'd love some help getting my parents to stop asking me about this once and for all. Thanks, Alexis. Well, Alexis is really caught in the middle of her past and her present. She's still in this phase where intellectually, as an adult, she says, I know I need to live my life for me and not do things solely to please my parents. But on the other hand, she still feels that pressure to 
make sure that, as she said, she's not disappointing them. And I think it's great that she and her partner have already discussed this and that they together have come to a consensus. So it's not one of those letters of one of us wants to move forward and have children and the other one doesn't. They seem to be on the same page. The question is, how can she get that voice out of her head around, I don't want to disappoint my parents? It's interesting because they've been together for 10 years and the parents might be thinking, 10 years, why aren't you married yet? And I don't know how much she's had a full discussion with her parents about what really their concerns are. Are they worried he actually won't? Or are they just worried that it looks bad? So it would be interesting to hear more about what those discussions have been like so far. And I think the important thing here is that she doesn't really need to explain to her parents why things are the way they are. I think what the parents need to know is that she and her partner feel good about whatever they've decided because that's very different from her having to justify to her parents, we're doing it this way because. I agree. And I would like to confirm indeed that she does feel good about it, whether she's fully on board with waiting. But let's go talk to her and find out. Yes, let's go talk to her. You're listening to Dear Therapist from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a short break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Dear Therapist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Dear Therapist. Bean Dad, The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lori Gottlieb. And I'm Guy Winch. And this is Dear Therapists. So hi, Alexis. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. 
We'd like you to start perhaps by telling us a little bit about the relationship, how you met your boyfriend, how things went and how things are right now. So I met my boyfriend when I was about 18 years old. So I was waitressing and I met him through that. And our own families have their own complex relationship that neither of us knew at the time of meeting. So that complex relationship wasn't something my dad was extremely happy about at the time. But as my dad got to know my boyfriend, he definitely softened to him. He's a really kind and gentle person. And so my dad really took to that. And our relationship got a lot stronger as a result. We are in the process of now building our first home and moving in together but that has created some of its own complexities with my family, particularly, again, my dad, who feels that we've been together long enough that maybe our relationship should look a little different to what it currently does. Can you tell us more about the complicated relationship? Mm. So our parents had known each other when they were younger. Both our dads had worked in the same industry and they had clashed a little bit in that industry. And so my dad just didn't like that idea that I was dating a guy that he had clashed with their father. And did your boyfriend's dad also have concerns like that at the beginning? Probably. My boyfriend's dad's not much of a sharer or a talker. My parents and his parents still don't talk. I don't think, I think I could probably count on one hand the number of times we've all been in the same room at the same time. How have you and your boyfriend talked about the fact that there's this tension between both sets of parents? When I was younger, I think it used to concern me a lot more for him. It was more of a, we'll work it out. We love each other and it's our relationship and that's what matters. I should say that we both get along with each other's family and that took a little bit of time. My family was more open to welcoming him. His family were a little less open. I don't know if that was because of the complex relationship or just because of his own complex relationship with his own family. It's just that when you think about having a wedding, I don't think anything terrible would happen, but I get anxious that there would be some uncomfortableness or awkwardness, but I do have trust in my family that if it was a big celebratory event, that they would be my supports and be able to talk and play nice, basically. What has it been like to talk with your boyfriend about the fact that your families don't get along? To be honest, uncomfortable. And I think we avoid it regularly. For me, it definitely feels stressful and anxiety provoking at times. He's a more laid back person. So when I have talked about it with him, he's very much like, it'll be fine. I wouldn't worry about it, but I do worry about it. What are you worried about specifically? Just whether it would be uncomfortable when we do have family events that I would like our whole family to be at, whether everyone will sort of get along, whether they'll say something that will upset somebody else. Who are the characters that you're most concerned about? There are two sets of parents. You get along with his, he gets along with yours. His mum and dad probably upsetting my mum and dad or my mum and dad somehow upsetting his mum and dad. And I wonder if that's just like a worry I have in my mind that wouldn't actually happen. It's been so long since they'd had any conflict. Almost 20 years ago, they had their conflict. 
How do you feel about the fact that this happened so long ago and that the two of you have been together for 10 years and that your parents, and I by your, I mean both sets of parents, mm. have not been able to rise to the occasion and somehow mend whatever they need to mend or at least find some way of being civil with each other? Now, as my brothers have partners and their partner's families come to different things. It feels less normal, but it felt normal at the time because I didn't have a lot to model it off in a young relationship. We go to their house for their occasions. You know, we go to my house for my occasions and that just felt normalized to me. But I don't think it feels normal because you think about it a lot and you worry about it a lot. Mm. I think about it now and I worry about it now we recently had my brother's engagement and then his wedding and seeing everyone getting along nicely and laughing and happy that makes me worry i don't even think we've allowed them the opportunity to try and do so and i think that would be because i get worried that something will happen and that i will have to have an argument with my family defending my partner or my partner's family. So I haven't allowed it. How much do you think your parents, at least, are getting from you this mixed message about, I want you to make this easier on the one hand, but I actually would rather avoid the entire thing for as long as possible because I'm worried that it will cause a big problem. Yeah. Yeah, I am giving those mixed messages. Other than by not bringing it up, in what other ways do you think you might have communicated that hesitancy? The avoid part is is more strong for me. Don't bring it up. Don't talk about it. Don't invite to birthdays or Christmas events. We all live in the same area and I know that they have run into each other and they have actually you know, said hello to each other or waved at each other. And so there is some give there. But when I ever think about them running into each other, it makes me so anxious that when my family started shopping at a different shopping location, I was happy that they weren't running into each other. The times they have bumped into each other haven't been terrible, but I still avoid trying to bring that together or have some sort of repair in those relationships. And just to clarify, the worry is that there'll be some kind of brouhaha between the two parents or that there will be an issue with the parents and then that will create an issue with you and your boyfriend. There will be an issue with the parents and that will create an issue for either me and my boyfriend or just an issue that I have to somehow fix. I don't care if they don't get along per se. I just care if they say something that I have to then deal with. Why would you have to be the one to help the adults get along with each other? Mm, that is my role in my family. My role in the family is the peacekeeper, the responsible one, the helper. So an example might be when we were at my brother's wedding, I think someone had made a comment to my partner, oh, it is your turn to get married now. And my partner had said something like, oh, not yet. And so someone fed that back to my dad and then my dad comes up to me a week later and says, your boyfriend said this at the wedding and he says it in a tone that makes you feel that he's so disappointed 
And then I feel anxious. I feel like I'm letting people down and that I have to justify where we're at and why we're at where we're at. Can I ask, is there a part of you that feels a little bit like your parents in the sense of, are you comfortable with where you're at in the relationship with your boyfriend? You said you're both approaching your 30s. Is there a part of you that wonders, is my boyfriend going to be ready? Sometimes there is, but more and more over the past couple of years, we're having those more serious conversations, which again, I like to avoid big conversations, but we have been having them. And he wants to wait to get married to when we live in our house and that'll be all things going well at the end of this year. And he just says, I have this idea of that moment in my mind when we get engaged and what that looks like. And it involves us being in our home and starting our life on our path in our time. So I think when I initially pictured all of those things when I was younger, everything was earlier than what it is now. I was told you do this by this age and this is the order you do things in and you don't stray from that line. But I'm also very happy with my relationship and I think that's more important to me than this idea that my parents or my dad might have in his head of what happiness in relationships looks like at different stages. You said you avoid these conversations with your boyfriend Mm -hmm. and that you don't really share with him all of these worries that you have. Mm. And I'm curious about why not, because right now in your head, Alexis, it falls to you to be the helper and the fixer of everything. And I'm curious about why you don't share with him, hey, this is what worries me. It's not our timetable. It's how well our parents will play together and how difficult that will make life for us. I don't share with anyone. I never have. I don't know if it's a, I should be able to just get over it or manage it or maybe they're silly worries. I don't know. You're tearing up a little bit as you say that, when you say, I don't share with anyone. Why is it that you feel you have to carry these burdens alone? He sounds like a supportive, nice person, your boyfriend. Why do you feel he wouldn't be able to be there for you? I don't know if it's about him or if it's just about that's how I've done things my whole life. I don't share my feelings. I don't share my feelings or when I'm sad or when I'm worried with anyone. I haven't felt like anyone has been able to, without it making them uncomfortable, be there for me in the past. What would happen when you were younger and you tried to share feeling sad with your parents? It would make them sad. Or if I was sad for too long, it would make them angry. I would be told, you know, that's enough now. Or don't be silly. My dad was really sick when we were growing up. So I didn't want to burden any of them with my own feelings. I just decided to deal with everything on my own. At what age did you decide that? 
think of as like 11 or 10. So that was when my dad was first diagnosed with cancer. I feel like I've always been the responsible one anyway. It was pretty much set out for me. Firstborn female in a half ethnic family. It always felt like a lot to live up to the perfect one. It doesn't get sad. It doesn't get worried. It doesn't burden other people. You just go on. And then when my dad got sick, they came up with this story that didn't say dad has cancer. It made me feel like they felt that I wouldn't be able to cope knowing, even though I was old enough to know why my dad had to shave all his hair off. And so I called him out and I said, in a very angry way, (laughs) how stupid do you think I am? I know dad has cancer. And then I sort of took myself to my room and refused to speak to anyone. And then I just, I cried then, but not in front of anyone. And when I'd composed myself, I'd just made a decision to not be sad about it anymore. I thought, well, if I show them that I'm strong and I'm not sad, then they won't be sad anymore and none of us have to be sad. And then it's a family dynamic of you don't burden each other with each other's feelings because you assume that they can't handle it and they assume that you can't handle it. And so that's something you do to one another. Has it occurred to you? You're doing back to them what they did? It hasn't occurred to me. It makes a lot of sense. This is so generationally ingrained in my family. You lie about how serious something is. This is just something that my whole family does. But Alexis, what I'm pointing out is not that you lie about it, the why. You lie about it because you assume that the other people can't handle it, like they assumed you couldn't. You were perfectly capable of and you were annoyed by that, and it's possible they are capable too. It's possible, but when I have shown periods of vulnerability with my parents, it upsets them and they don't like prolonged emotion. If I have, even as a teenager, cried for any reason and it's gone on longer than what they can tolerate, I have been told, that's enough now. Stop crying. I think the word tolerate is so important here. Instead of saying, how can I sit with you in your sadness? they feel discomfort because your sadness brings up something that they can't tolerate, some discomfort in them. And just like you did the same thing when you said, I know dad has cancer. And then instead of getting comfort from them, you went to your room and closed the door. So everybody feels like I can maybe show a glimpse of something, anger, sadness, but then we don't want it to go on too long. So as you said, you made a decision not to be sad. Yeah. But you can't just decide yourself out of sadness. You made a decision not to show your sadness. Yeah. But you were still sad. Yeah. I'm curious to hear more about that. When your dad was going through his treatment for cancer, what was that like for you? You were 11. To be honest, I don't know how I felt. I think I completely switched myself off. I ignored everything and didn't ask about it and I pretended that it wasn't happening. So when my dad was in hospital, I didn't go to the hospital because then I didn't 
have to see what was happening. So I think I was terrified, but I ignored all of that. Did your parents try to ask you how you were feeling and why you didn't want to go to the hospital? Yeah. And I gave them, I just don't want to see my dad like that or everything will be fine. So if you just be positive, then everything will get better. And how did they respond to that? I think my dad agreed with that. He didn't want to talk about it either. So it made him feel, wow, she can be so strong so I can be strong because he would then say the same things that I was saying, you know, let's not talk about it. Let's not worry about it. I will be fine. I'll get through this. And his prognosis was, I should mention, very serious. He was given three months to live, but he defied all odds on three separate occasions and he is still here. So I also feel now as an adult guilty when I feel like I'm disappointing him or not living up to what he would like for me. Was this going on in the whole family, meaning your brothers as well? We're not talking about it. I don't remember ever talking to my brothers about it. I just remember thinking there, you know, about eight and six, and they got given this story. Oh, so you had to hold the true story and they believed something else. Yeah. It was when I got told that I was just angry, but. I was just angry because it was happening, not because they lied. I was just angry that my happy life had to get really serious. Well, you're probably much more than just angry. There were probably all kinds of feelings that were going on. What about friends? Did friends notice? Did you talk to any friends or did you feel that would be disloyal? Did any friends say, what's going on with your dad? He looks unwell. I didn't talk to any friends. I have a lot of cousins that I'm very close with. I didn't talk to anyone. I know my school knew because they sent the school counsellor and I said, I'm fine. I didn't talk about it. And nobody asked me. That's really interesting to me now. As an adult, I recently came to my mum and I said, mum, I think I had an eating disorder when I was at school. And she said, yeah, I know. We took you once to a doctor and they told us not to tell you and just it'll figure itself out. How old were you when you had an eating disorder? I have so many memories of being in high school, maybe 14 or 15, and it wasn't about my body at all. Like I didn't ever have any thoughts like that, you know, I was big or this or that, but I was obsessed with food and rules around food. And then I would only eat this very specific food. So my parents would just only buy that one thing and I wouldn't eat breakfast and I would throw my food away at school. When I became an adult, I just loved cooking, but not so that I could eat it. I would cook so that other people could eat that food. But, you know, I'd convinced myself up until maybe four years ago, I didn't like anything sweet. So on birthdays, I watched others enjoy food, but I never let myself. Even on your birthday? I just would say, no, I don't like cake. And everyone just said, okay. 
that's such a metaphor for the way that it's all about taking care of other people and depriving yourself. That deprivation, whether it's the deprivation of the joy of eating something delicious, whether it's the deprivation of getting comfort when you're feeling sad or scared or angry. Mm -hmm. And again, as part of that metaphor, nobody questioning, why is this happening? And even though your parents noticed and they took you to a doctor, it was never discussed with you. No. And to a credit to my boyfriend, he knew that I wouldn't eat and he would dish up food for me and he would say, we have to eat this together. And I would really like if you ate the whole bowl of this pasta or the whole bowl of this food. And I remember I'd go to his mum's house for dinner and he'd say, you sit down and I'll dish up for you. And he'd sit with me. We'd get a roll together and I'd take a few bites and he'd say, I'd really like it if you could eat half. And I didn't know what he was doing, but he let me just enjoy food. It was just like, hey, you need energy, you need to eat. Let me sit with you, let me eat with you. And that I've never talked to him about that either. <laughs> Funnily, as I say it, I haven't even said thank you. So he was saying to you, I want you to feel good. I want you to experience joy. Yeah. Instead of just making sure everybody else is enjoying the meal. And he was almost giving you permission that I think that you don't give yourself or you hadn't been giving yourself that I'm not allowed. Mm. So I have to deprive myself. And he was saying, I'm encouraging you to stop depriving yourself. And I wonder why, given how meaningful that must have been, and you're having such an emotional reaction to it now, mm. what has prevented you from saying, that was so meaningful for me? I don't like to show vulnerability or that I need other people. As you were talking, I was thinking about other times where I've needed comfort or support and how I would let a little bit in from my boyfriend and then I would consciously shut off and tell myself, okay, that's enough now. No more crying. That's what your parents said. And I would do it to myself. And I'm just thinking in my head, I don't want to rely on anybody except myself because I hadn't been able to for so long. And that makes me feel sad because it stops us connecting in a lot of ways too. I'm thinking about this idea of how scary it is to rely on somebody else. Those are the words you used. Yeah. As opposed to thinking of it as I'm getting support from somebody. But what happened in your family is you were told, okay, that's enough. You've been sad for long enough. We need to stop this. And so you learned that you can't actually rely on other people. And that's very scary for a child to think, I can't rely on anybody. I have to deal with this all on my own. And when you talk about the behaviors around food, they were a way to control your environment. It was, I have all these very specific rules and these very specific rules keep me safe. I don't rely on food. I don't rely on people. I don't need anything. I create the rules though, so I'm in control. And when you open up to someone, it still feels to you like you're ceding control in some way. Yeah. That 
somehow if I open up to him, I'm not in control anymore. Yeah, it's exactly that. But I think what you're not seeing is that you're not in control by hiding your feelings either. Yeah. I think, Alexis, your boyfriend has learned long ago, probably with you, that he can't bring up things directly because that's something you avoid that would upset you. So he has to talk about stuff in a roundabout way. Instead of saying, I'm concerned about your relationship with food, he says, let's just try and get to half. But he doesn't talk about the thing. And I know that you think that it's probably because he's uncomfortable, but he sounds like he's responding to the very clear messaging from you that you are the one that's really uncomfortable. So let's not have that kind of conversation. And he's hearing that and he's trying to be there for you in the ways in which you allow him to be. But there are many ways in which you don't allow him to be. Yeah. Do you think if you did allow yourself to be more vulnerable with him, and by more vulnerable, what I mean is just have some of these conversations some of the time in a direct way, do you think he would be able to be there for you and be supportive? Yeah, I do. We had some other really serious family stuff happen a couple of years ago. I could not manage it all because it was really scary. The feelings were really big. What was going on? My youngest brother, he had a heart attack from an overdose on cocaine. Oh. And he had actually been pronounced dead. He was resuscitated several times and then was, you know, I see you in a coma. And we were told that he would be permanently in a vegetative state for the rest of his life. And I couldn't manage that. I should mention that by some miracle, about eight hours after that conversation, which was a few days after his heart attack, he did wake up, but I could not deal with that on my own and he did such a good job of even getting me to have a shower and coming in that shower and washing my hair because I couldn't do any of that. Could you talk to him about how you were feeling in that moment? Yeah, we had spent one night up all night just laying in bed and he would just listen to what I was saying and saying I'm here and just holding me. That's lovely and it's supportive and it's so present, but it takes a lot for you to allow even that, right? You're right. I let him in that night and then I switched off. You allowed him to care for you, but that night, as he's caring for you, were you able to express anything about how you're feeling to him? Yeah, I was terrified and sad and scared. And I told him that, but I also told him that I was scared about all the responsibility that I thought that I had to take now in this new role that I started to picture that night where my parents were carers for my brother and I envisioned myself now being a carer for three people, not just my brother, but my mum and my dad. And I told him that. How did that feel to you? It just felt scary. It made me feel really weak to feel so vulnerable because I'm smart. I should just figure out what to do and do it. And I didn't like that I felt so vulnerable with somebody else. I want you to hear what this sounds like. Your 
brother is in a coma and you're told he'll be in a vegetative state for the rest of his life. And you're saying, I felt like I shouldn't be having these feelings. If somebody else had a brother in a coma who might be in a vegetative state for the rest of his life, would you feel that that person shouldn't be having those feelings? They're smart, so they shouldn't be having those feelings because they know better. I know how stupid it sounds when I say it out loud. It makes no sense because I would expect that of any other person. I would expect more than big emotions, not to just say, okay, well, this is a problem that we'll just deal with. Whose voice is that? I want to say it's mine, but I think it's my dad. Yeah, I feel bad saying that, but I think it is his voice. And the thing is, Alexis, that you do know better, as you said. You do have a very different judgment about other people expressing vulnerability in certain moments. I'm even going to assume that you know that it's a healthy response and that there's something not so great about stuffing all those feelings down. Yeah. And yet you say, I know it's stupid. It's not stupid because it's fear-based. And so the fear is if I become too vulnerable, you'll be derelict in all your other duties towards family members and other people for whom you from a very young age felt a certain responsibility. So how much do you feel in touch with that real fear about what terrible things can happen if you let yourself be vulnerable in a much more profound way than you have so far? Right now, I can intellectually understand it, but emotionally, something's happened in me and I've pushed that back down. Because you can see that growing up with the experiences that you've had, there was a lot of practice in pushing things down. It takes your brother to be in an overdose vegetative state for you to allow yourself a night of getting some support from somebody who loves you and wants to give it to you. But that's what it takes, and even then you only earn a night. That's scary to me as well, that it takes such extreme for me to share anything other than this sort of perfect robotic version of whatever I think people expect or would like from me rather than just letting myself be or feel or just show that I'm not okay sometimes too. And especially with someone who's proven himself being capable of being there for you in an exquisitely delicate way. Yeah. So is it as scary to let him see that vulnerable side as it is other people? It shouldn't be, but I don't know where to start or how to start. Well, you actually have a live issue before you, so the where to start is not too complicated because you're asking us how can we help set limits with your parents. Before your parents, we are interested in how you can approach this as a unit, not just you and by stuffing it down. What would it be like to talk to him about your feelings about what's going on with your parents and the pressures and the wedding and how caught you feel? Might be nice to get out of my head. I think it would be nice to feel heard and understood. A minute ago you said, I don't let my parents ask about my life. Are they making an effort at this point in your life to understand, not to tell you how they feel, 
but to understand how you feel. I don't get asked, well, how do you feel about this situation? I get told how they feel about that situation and how I should feel about that situation, but I don't get asked my feelings or thoughts on those situations. So how are they telling you that you should feel about the status of your relationship with your boyfriend? I should be pressuring him more to get engaged and to get married and to start a family. I should want to already have a baby. And like it's very clear, why haven't you had a baby yet? And I would say something like, well, right now I'm focusing on my career. I've only been in my career for two years now and I spent a really long time studying to get here and I want to settle into my home and settle into my life before I take on more responsibilities. Then I don't feel quite adult enough to be a mum yet. And I just get told, well, you're not getting any younger. The clock is ticking and I want to be a grandparent. I'm wondering if you have a sense, since you tend to focus on other people's feelings, what is their fear that you're going to have spent 10 years with your boyfriend and the two of you are not going to end up together, that you're going to be too old to have a child? What is their fear exactly? It's keeping face. It is what will other people think about this situation. And that has been something our whole lives, particularly on my dad's side, there's just this expectation that you should get married and you should have children. And I'm sinning in a way because, you know, God says that you should do this and that. And then the other part is that there's just this cultural expectation. And so I'm almost damaged goods because I'm getting older and I don't have all of the things that this culture says, hey, women should be married and women should have children. But it's also so confusing to me now that my dad says these things to me because my whole life up until I was like 25, 26, so this is only now two years difference, he had said nothing about these expectations. He had said things like, you have to study and you have to get a good job and you have to focus on your career. And then once I got to the career, I got all of these different messages and it was so confusing to me. Can I ask what culture you're talking about when you say cultural expectations? My dad is Greek. So I should have been married 10 years ago, essentially, <laughs> 18, 20, which was funny because when I was 23, he would say, oh no, she doesn't need to get married yet. She's so young. She has time. And then, you know, in a couple of years after that, it's all, you're too old. You don't have time. With your dad, it would be great to have a conversation with him in which you bring your own perspective. You tell him how you feel about things, what's important to you so he understands your perspective separate from his own? I feel like I've tried in times when he's said these comments. He never says them like as in let's sit down and let's talk. I could be sitting down on the couch watching TV and he might just turn to me out of nowhere and say, I have to say something to you because I love you, but I don't want you to get angry. So let's say he says to me, I want to be a grandfather. I might say, well, my brother's married, so he'll have a baby soon. They're talking about that. 
but I think you should have a baby. You're running out of time. And I might say, well, I don't want a baby right now. And then that is met with him going into this angry mode. It's almost like a tantruming child. And I've said it to my mum, why does he go into this child tantrum? But my mum does not stand up to my dad because it then would make her life difficult. So my mum will agree with my dad in front of my dad to appease my dad. But when it's me and my mum, she just says, don't worry about it. I don't care if you get married. I don't care if you have children. You do what you want. That's up to you and your boyfriend. But Alexis, I was asking you about whether you were able to share with your father your perspective and you were able to respond to his, but is there a point in which you say to him, I understand your concerns, Dad. Here's my thinking about it. The way I'm thinking, I spent all this time getting ready for this career. I do want a little bit more of it. I am still in my 20s, so the ticking clock is not ticking too loudly for me. And here's what I'm thinking. Do you explain that to him? We have had these conversations, but his view is that you're just saying that because that's what your boyfriend wants. But I haven't really tried to sit down outside of when we've already both been heated and try and have a conversation where I say, I understand what you're saying and I know that you want the best for me, but this is what I would also like for me. I find it interesting that you and your mom have so much in common. So you're smiling. (laughs) I haven't thought about it that way. Well, let's think about it for a second. I'm thinking about how your mom just puts her own feelings aside in order to make sure that your dad doesn't get upset. Yeah. And so she has her own thoughts about this, which is she's not particularly worried about what you and your boyfriend are doing. She wants you to figure that out with your boyfriend as is appropriate. She just wants us to be happy. Yes, yes. And she also wants your dad to be happy. And she's not really thinking about how she can share her feelings with him. She supports him in those moments when he's pressuring you. Instead of saying, hey, you know what? I think something different because that would agitate him. You do the same thing. You know, I have to make sure that everybody around me is okay and my feelings all keep to myself. Yeah, we are very similar like that, actually. And it's funny because I assume my mum can't comfort me. I just don't let her do that. Now, as I think about it now, she does it for everyone else. So there is no reason that I couldn't also share with her And she also does comfort you in a way by saying, listen, I just want you to be happy. I'm not putting that pressure on you. But I think that part of supporting you might create some work for her, which is that she needs to be able to express her feelings in front of your dad as well. Yeah. How are your boyfriend's parents giving the two of you space to figure things out on your own? They're totally fine. They've never said anything to me and my boyfriend hasn't said that they've ever said anything to him. When your parents push you to put pressure on your boyfriend, you said that that's created some conflict with your boyfriend. What do those conversations look like between you and your boyfriend? It looks like me taking all of that in and this seed going into my head 
and ruminating and festering. And then by the time I see him, I just go into this angry mode. I just say, you know, my dad said this and my dad said that. And he just says like, I don't understand where this is coming from. It's like, I just get so anxious that I'm disappointing my dad that I ignore any conversations that my boyfriend and I have had. And I just stomp in there and I'm almost like tantruming myself, but I'm also quite happy with where things are. And I like that we're on our own timeline because I was so focused on studying for a very, very, very long time that I feel that it's only the past few years when I've been working that we've been able to solidify a more healthy adult relationship where we spend good quality time together and we enjoy each other versus me being stressed and overwhelmed and studying at all hours and working three jobs. I get to just work one job with normal hours and I want more of that. So it's so strange to me that I get so angry when my dad says these things and I stomp over to him and I just yell at him. I just want to just get it all out because I don't say it to my dad and he's become my boxing bag if in a way, which is bad. Are you even clear enough about the distinctions of who you're angry at in those moments? I'm just angry that like my dad doesn't listen. I'm now at a point where I get anxious being alone with my dad because I'm scared that one of these comments will come out of nowhere and then that puts me in a bad mood for the rest of the day. What would happen if you got angry with your dad in those moments? He gets angry back. And when he gets angry back, he can he can be quite nasty. He can pull out the book of, oh, here's anything that I can say that might make you feel bad. Like what? He could say almost anything. Sometimes he will use financial support as a way of shutting you down. So, you know, well, I paid for all of your studies. So you, you do what I say almost on my timeline when I say you do it. I've kept a roof over your head or he would even say something like, well, why don't you just go live with your stupid boyfriend then? And if you said to him in those moments, dad, that is my plan. We just disagree about the timeline. I've said something like, and when I leave, you'll be very sad and you'll see when I leave. Do you live with your parents? I do because we're building our house. So my partner doesn't live with them, but I do live with my parents. But also that's another cultural thing as well, because the expectation was you don't move out until you're married. I used to think the rules applied to all of us siblings. But when my brother built his house with his girlfriend at the time, now wife, it was all happy days and it was good and it was okay. And my youngest brother, his girlfriend actually lives at our house and they've been together eight months. So it feels more now that the rules apply to me. And that's also though been the expectation that I've had growing up. I had to go to uni. I had to do this. 
my brothers didn't have to do any of that. They could be what they wanted on their timelines. Given the tension at home, was there ever a consideration of moving in with your boyfriend where he lives now? (laughs) I would love to. He lives on his parents' property in a little one bedroom. So even if I would love to, it just fits his minimal belongings. And I'm okay with that. More recently, especially since my brother got married, I feel the pressure more, which means I avoid coming home a lot now. So I'll work more or I just won't say where I am so I can pretend that I'm at work so that I can have some breathing space before I get home because it's so unpredictable that I'm now going into, well, this house couldn't be built quick enough, but it's still just dirt on the floor right now. So I have to also be patient. Is there a possibility of you getting your own place while the house is being built or you and your boyfriend moving to a place together temporarily while the house is being built? My cousin has actually said, you know, you can live here sometimes because he knows that sometimes things get difficult at home, but I don't want to do that. I don't know why. Let's look at that for a minute. This house might take a couple of years if it's just dirt right now. What is preventing you from saying, I might have more peace if I'm not in this environment all the time? What is preventing you and your boyfriend from getting a place together for the next couple of years while you wait for the house? For the first part, I also do like spending time with my mom and dad. When my dad isn't down my neck, I do a lot with my mom and dad and I have always very much enjoyed it. What do you do with them? We go on holidays together. So over Christmas, you know, I'd spent three weeks at the holiday house with my parents and my partner came as he could because he was working. We go for drives, we do stuff around the house together. And I enjoy that if they don't try and tell me what they want or what to do. You keep saying they, but it seems like it's your dad. It feels like they, because my mom is often there as an observer to this. So it makes me feel like they, but you're right. It's my dad. Because when my mum is just home, I don't have this anxious feeling to be alone and to just enjoy time together. So sometimes in my head, it's like, okay, what's happened today? Is there anything that I can predict that could come up? No. Okay, great. It's probably going to be a good day. I hear that you can have good times with your parents but I don't think you're fully in touch with how distressing it is on a daily basis to not feel safe emotionally in your home, to not feel like you can just sit and watch television without your dad turning to you and going, so, you know, the clock's ticking and any of those things and knowing that if you respond, he's going to get angry. And then if you get angry, he'll get angrier. And I'm not sure you're fully in touch with how oppressive that is and how stressful. Yeah, I'm not. You're right. I make myself very busy so that I don't have to worry about that until I'm in the moment, almost. In your own thinking, what is the life circumstance or the age or the point at which you, just you, get to prioritize your feelings over your dad's? Your dad prioritizes his own feelings over yours. When do you feel 
ready, what needs to happen for you to feel, you know what, he'll advocate for his, my feelings are more important, I'm not squashing mine just to please him anymore? To be honest, I'd like to do it like now, which is why I'm reaching out because I'm tired of feeling this way and I would like to hope that my dad cares and loves me enough that he will listen if I can find the way to talk to him about how I'm feeling and work together. I don't think it'll be a simple conversation and it will all magically change. But if I'm being brave, I would like to say now. It won't be a simple conversation. It won't even be a single conversation. You asked about setting boundaries. They have two steps for setting boundaries. You set them and then the maintenance is the difficult one. So you have to be ready for an ongoing campaign, not just a one-time hold my breath and get through it. Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. If it was at the start of this conversation, I probably would have said, I want to do it when I don't live at the house anymore because I can have space and clarity. But to be honest, I don't want to wait a year until I start doing that because I want to come home and feel calm and enjoy the time that I also get to have staying at home with my parents before, you know, I don't see them as regularly and life just changes. Part of it, Alexis, is the way that this pressure is unpredictable. You never know when it's going to happen and you don't know how to respond to it. The other part of it, though, is that you were talking at the beginning of the terror that you have around both sets of parents being together. And I don't think these are two unrelated things. Mm. It's the same terror that you have. It's, I never know what's going to happen when I'm sitting on the couch watching TV with my dad, and I never know what's going to happen if our parents run into each other. And it's also funny because I don't know if I'm giving any of the four of them any credit here because I wonder if some of the terror isn't valid anymore now that we've been together for so long and they know that we're serious and they know how much we love each other. Has your boyfriend ever said, hey, it would be really nice if we could get our parents in the same room? No. Is he afraid also? I don't even know if that's because it's about him or because he knows how anxious it makes me. So he just doesn't bring it up. So he does a lot of protecting of you, knowing that conversations are a challenge for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder when you think about the future together, what would a different future look like in terms of communication? You said you're ready to start now. Yeah. Doing something different with your dad. What about doing something different with your boyfriend so that the roles are not, he takes care of you and he kind of silently intuits what you need, yeah. but you're able to participate in that conversation. I think I would really like that. I think the more that we've been talking today, I've also realized that I think he stops sharing sometimes with me because he doesn't want me to feel upset. I would love if he felt comfortable enough that I wouldn't respond in a way that made him feel shut down either. I think it would just feel really nice to be able to walk in and say, hey, this is how I'm feeling. It would help me feel more like an adult in my relationship. 
than this sort of teenager that I sometimes still feel like in that relationship because I just I just avoid and avoid and avoid. It's very difficult to feel like an adult when you're living in the same room that you grew up in with the same people who treat you in the same way. Yes. And look, I think we haven't had the conversation, why don't we just rent somewhere for a little while until the house is built, that kind of thing. I would like to put that money onto the mortgage more because, but then when I think about it, I sorry, I'm smiling because I have this voice in my head that's my dad's that would say renting is wasting money. So as I say that, I realize that it's also not my own thought process there. Right. And we want to help you understand what your thoughts are that are separate from other people's and then how to communicate them. Yeah, it would be maybe nice in some ways to move out and and rent together and do that now. But I wonder if maybe I could stay at his house more and just take a big overnight bag with me for a few days and not have to go home and come back to his house and home and back to his house. I could, you know, situate myself there a little bit more so that we could do more things like cook dinner together more. Because it's funny, he has said things to me like, it's when you want to. We do this when it feels convenient for you. And that hurts. But the way I do things probably does send that message. And everything that you just said is illustrating how an adult thinks. Now you're problem solving. Now you're trying to understand more about what it would look like to be your own person and stay connected to your family. Yeah. How can you do both? And do you see how in just those few minutes you went into your adult space? Yeah. And you said, yeah, I do have more flexibility around this. This might be healthier for my relationship. This is a way I could stay connected to my family and also move into this new phase. Yeah, rather than... How do I please my family, be home, eat with the family, then leave, then go to, you know, and wonder why I'm so tired all the time because I'm trying my best to please everyone. And yet I'm not only not pleasing all of them, I'm also not looking after me. So Alexis, we have some advice for you and probably not surprisingly, we would like you to talk with your dad. Mm-hmm. And we would like you to say to him, Dad, I love you so much. And our relationship is really important to me. But when you bring up these questions about what's happening between me and my boyfriend, I actually dread coming home. I wonder if we're going to have the good time that we usually have, or if something's going to come up that's really going to put me in a bad mood. And I don't want to dread being around you. I'm an adult now and my boyfriend and I have a timeline that works for us and we're both really happy with it. And so dad, I'm asking that you not bring this up anymore. If there's a change to the timeline, I will let you know, but nothing you say in the meantime is going to change the timeline and it's only going to make me dread being around you. And I don't want that to happen. So if you do bring it up, I'm going to ask you to let it go or I'm going to leave the room. And I'm doing this so that we can enjoy our time together. And so remember, the, that's the limit setting conversation, phase one. And then the phase two is the maintenance of the boundary. And then the good thing about doing 
what we suggested in phase one is that you can shorthand phase two communications. You don't have to start explaining the whole thing over again. The minute he starts by saying, so look, I bought the wedding. You said to him, dad, please to remind you, I really don't feel like leaving the room right now. So could you please drop it? He keeps going. Okay, you know what? I'll come back later because I really asked, I don't want to have this conversation. And off you go. Very nicely, very respectfully. Even you start standing up and go, dad, can we let it go? You just telegraph and remind him of the intent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the thing that Guy said about doing it very nicely and calmly is that you're doing it from the adult place now. Yeah. And not from that teenager place. This is all about transitioning you into adulthood so that being an adult means staying connected to your family, but also being yourself. How can you navigate those boundaries? And in this case, knowing not just what's better for you, but what's better for your relationship with him than he does. Mm-hmm. So that really has to come from the place of the adult. Yeah. All right. Task number two, conversation with boyfriend. Mm-hmm. We want you to say to him, I really appreciate how well you see me and you get me and you care for me and you do it so sensitively And I'm not sure I've told you how wonderful that feels. And it happens at times of distress, so it might not look like it feels wonderful because I'm going through a difficult time, but I so appreciate it. And I'm not sure I've told you how much I really value it because I'm not great at talking about my feelings. And that's something I'm really trying to work on, but that's probably made you hesitant to talk about yours. And I want you to be able to talk about yours. And I want to keep working to talk more openly about mine. So I wanted to let you know, those are conversations I would like us to have. And one of the ways I want us to have that conversation is to talk about things like the following. I know we have our life plan, but I would love to start our life together a little sooner. Construction can take a long time. And I want us to talk together about what we can do to spend more nights together. Maybe I have an overnight bag at your place. Maybe we can both spend time at my cousin's place just so we can kind of start our lives and not feel like we have to wait for the construction to be completed. You're not mentioning marriage. This is just kind of being together. Yeah. But I would love to know how you feel about that. And then you toss it to him. And he's going to be hesitant. I mean, you're saying, I want to hear how you feel, but he's used to dancing around. So catch him and go like, okay, but tell me really how you feel about that. I really want to have that discussion. And his telling you how he feels isn't just, yeah, that's a good idea or no, that's not a good idea, but the why. So if he says, you know, I don't really think I'm ready to do that yet. You don't just leave it there. Okay. So it's about what comes up for you around this? What are you worried about? You can tell me I can handle it, right? Yeah. And then you tell him how you feel and you might have feelings about whatever he says. And you can say, and let me tell you how I feel about the fact that you're not ready to do this. Or if he is, let me tell you how happy I am to hear that you are ready to do this. And let me also tell you that I'm scared a little bit because I'm very connected to my family. So this is a big step for me and I'm excited to do this. 
And it's also going to be a big change for me. You can share all kinds of feelings. They can be happy feelings. They can be worried feelings, ambivalence, whatever it is. But just being able to be open with each other and have a true conversation, not just logistically, but how do we both feel about potentially taking these steps and doing it now while we're waiting for the big plan, which is we're going to move into this house that we're building together? Yeah, I'm excited to have that conversation. And then the last piece of advice we have for you is you said that actually the parents seem to be quite civil to each other from what you've heard. But we don't want you to have that feeling at your wedding of what's going to happen. We don't want that to be the very first time that all the parents are in the room together. So we would like you and your boyfriend together to plan a very casual gathering, not just with both sets of parents, but there will be other people there as well. Maybe you have a big family, maybe friends and something very casual. Maybe it's a barbecue, something outside where people can escape, whatever it needs to be. (laughs) But it's not like, and now we're going to put you together. It's just, hey, we're having this gathering and you're doing what most couples do, which is we're inviting our family. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense that both parents would be invited to this. And you're not going to make a big deal and you're not going to have conversations with people about it beforehand. It's just, let's see how this goes. And so then if it doesn't go well, you have some runway there. You have some space to talk about you and your boyfriend together so that it's not all on you and you have to problem solve the whole thing. But you can say, oh, wow, did you see this happened? How do we manage this? Let's come up with some ideas together. Or maybe it goes really well and everybody's very civil. And then you don't have to feel that sense of dread going into any kind of family occasion that might come up, including your wedding. Yeah. Yeah. So how does all that sound? I'm probably most excited to have the conversation with my partner, like almost like, oh, I wish he was awake so that I could go and have that conversation with him now. I am nervous about talking to my dad, not even about the gathering. I think it's the talking to my dad that feels very foreign to me. That is my most nerve-wracking conversation, but the most important one, I think, that needs to happen as well. And the bar for success has nothing to do with his response, only with what you put forth. If you put forth your truth, Success, regardless of how he responds. Yeah, yeah. For example, let's say that he says, well, I'm going to keep bringing it up. I'm your father and I'm not going to be told what I can bring up and what I can't bring up. You can say, okay, dad, then I will be coming home with a sense of dread. And if you do bring it up, I will ask you to let it go or I will leave the room because I'm not going to engage in that conversation. Yeah, (laughs) You're going to need to take a lot of breaths and get back into the adult space and not go into that automatic place that we tend to go when we get triggered by our parents, which is you go back into that helpless childhood place. We think you're very ready for the adulthood. You just have to grab it. Thank you very much for that. Oh, you're very welcome. And we look forward to hearing how all of these things go this week. Thank you. What was interesting to me about that session was how raw things were for Alexis on the one hand, how little practice she's had talking about her feelings, yet how ready she seemed to do it on the other. Yeah, there was a moment in the session when she said, if you had asked me this at the beginning of the session, 
I don't think I would have been ready to do that, but I am now. Right. And I think that spoke most to something she said at the end about, she said, I'm really tired. It's really exhausting to feel like you have to hold your feelings. You have to take care of everyone else. She's done it her whole life. So I think that she's kind of ready, like a butterfly, ready to emerge. I agree. And I think it was the fact that she was able to be so open with us and so vulnerable. She cried and she was teary and the world didn't end and everything was okay. And we actually were more interested in how she felt. I think that was also a great illustration for her about how it can feel to open up and be supported. And I like that she's going to be doing something with her dad that she's not used to doing. We're pretty much predicting that he's not going to take well to this conversation. So it's really about her saying, let me ask myself, how do I feel in this moment? There were so many times in the conversation where she said, I'm not sure if this is my voice or this is one of my parents' voices. Right. That's why it doesn't matter how it goes on his end, her doing it despite that fear, because that's what's right for her, I think is going to be really meaningful to her and hopefully set her on the right path. You're listening to Dear Therapists. We'll be back after a short break. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 
So, Laurie, we heard from Alexis and we gave her a few conversations to have. Before we get to them, a note to our listeners. Alexis is taping this late at night. And so she's whispering for that reason. She doesn't want to wake people up. Let's hear how she did. Hi, Guy. Hi, Laurie. Just checking in about some of the homework that you guys gave me. So the first task that you gave me was around a conversation with my dad. It took me a couple of days to work up the courage and figure out how to have this conversation with him, but there was a really great opportunity when we were alone together in the car. I was really anxious to have this, but he didn't get angry. We didn't have a fight. It was him being a little bit rigid, saying that he just wants the best for me and he wants me to be happy. So I really just had to highlight that I am really happy and I'm happy with my timeline and things are going the way that I and my boyfriend would like them to and that just because that doesn't match up with his timeline, that's okay. He should have stopped the conversation there and things have been good. I've been a little bit less worried about coming home. I am still, however, a little bit worried that this is going to come up again. Sometimes he has these patterns where things will go okay for a little bit, but I'm really much more confident in revisiting this conversation now, knowing how it went and with the advice that he had given me. The second conversation was with my boyfriend. I did this one much quicker and I really focused on how much I value how he's there for me. In fact, I opened up quite a bit more following that conversation and he then opened up with me about how he's been feeling just with life and his new job and it was really, really nice. I felt much more connected in that moment. We did have a discussion about spending more time together and what that would look like. We have decided that I will stay there at his house more frequently and for longer periods of time. So we're really excited about this and we're really looking forward to what that looks like. The last piece of advice was to talk to my boyfriend so that we could both organize together a catch up for our parents. Just to me in a very casual setting. This is something that we haven't done yet. It's just we both have lots on our schedules in the coming month but we are really trying to find a time that we know will work really well for both our families and whilst I am a bit anxious about that I feel much more supported doing this with my partner so I just wanted to thank you guys again. It sounded like Alexis did really well. I think that the conversation with her father she was really uncomfortable but she did very well in saying her piece and explaining it and not prolonging the conversation. The one comment I would have is you said, if it comes up again, it will come up again. And you don't need to have the whole conversation all over again when it does. You just remind him, Dad, we spoke about that. Remember, I'm doing it on my own timeline. And then you leave it again. I do think she did a good job. I know this was a really hard conversation for her to have. I did not hear 
her setting the boundary though. And I think that she needs to go back to our advice and listen to how we explain to her how the boundary setting sounds, because I don't think she said to him, if it comes up again, I will leave the conversation. And then she needs to actually leave the room and the conversation in a very warm, friendly way. But she needs to do that consistently because if she doesn't do that consistently, he might just keep bringing it up. Correct. And so I think when he does the next time, which he will, then you say to him, Dan, remember, we spoke about this. And then Alexis set the boundary, say, so I don't want to talk about it again. And if you keep bringing it up, I'm just going to end the conversation and leave the room. Just be very explicit in the kindest way that is just unpleasant for me. It stresses me out. This is what I have to do. And I like that she said it was easy to go to her boyfriend and have that conversation. It shows that they have a lot of connection, a lot of trust with each other. It was so nice to hear that when she opened up to him, he opened up so much to her and it made them feel so much more connected and that they both want to spend more time together and that she will be spending more time at his house. I think they need that. And I really got the sense that having that conversation made them feel more unified. And that was also why we wanted them to throw this family event. I also think that planning this family event together will continue to unify you and define you in your eyes and especially in your family's eyes as a unit, as a couple. Alexis said they didn't have time for a get together where the parents would both be there. And I know that they're busy, but I also think it's really important that they prioritize that. Absolutely. And even in the planning there is an intervention there because it's sufficient that you put both parents on an email together and say, we would like to invite you to a blah, 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 whatever you choose to do. Let's look at our calendars and try and find dates. So even before it happens, the intention is there. So Alexis, we are encouraging you strongly to not wait months, but to start the planning and the communicating with the two sets of parents about this right now. Because we really think that you and your boyfriend make a good team and this is something you should approach as a team. Next week, a mother and daughter who've been emotionally distant for the past 25 years try to heal the wounds of the past. From the moment she said she didn't want us to be involved in the adoption process, I felt that Stephanie was rejecting me. And as things have gone on for the past years, I felt like she doesn't approve of me. And so I've just distanced myself. If you're enjoying our podcast, don't forget to subscribe for free so you don't miss any episodes. And please help support Dear Therapists by telling your friends about it and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews really help people to find the show. If you have a dilemma you'd like to discuss with us, email us at laurieandguy at iheartmedia.com. Our executive producer is Noel Brown. We're produced and edited by Josh Fisher. Additional editing support by Zachary Fisher and Katie Matty. Our intern is Alana Doherty. And special thanks to our podcast fairy godmother, Katie Couric. We can't wait to see you at our next session. Dear Therapists is a production of iHeartRadio. Fish food. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible 
simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 